I think I want to revisit uh, scriptures that we talked about last week. And uh, they, if you don't follow me, you can either listen to the last few weeks or you can um, read it yourself. But it's, you can read the whole chapter of Second Corinthians, the third chapter, or when it start around the 12th, 13th verse and read to the ends of the chapter, that would be all right, too, because that's what I'm going to start talking with you about. But Paul is talking about the law. And by the way, let's see, talking about this new. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. And the thoughts that God has toward us are good thoughts. Thoughts of peace. Thoughts of joy. And uh, he, he, he loves us. And anyway, in this... Uh, <clears throat> Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, Paul is dealing with his primary subject is being under the law as Israel was, or under grace. And he talks about how the law, being under the law, referring to Moses when he went up into the mountain and uh, to get the Ten Commandments from God. That uh, and he told God he wanted to to, to see his face. He was seeking to see his face. Psalm 27, the psalmist says, Your face, Lord, shall I seek. God wants us to seek his face. Why his face? Well, I would venture to say if we could really see God and though we are created in his likeness and image and he does have a face, I'm not sure he would be as human looking as we because there's no male or female or humans in, in heaven. Uh, he may be able to take on anybody he chooses, but, you know, he wants us to seek his ways. What does that mean? Seek his ways. You see, when you want to seek God, when, when Paul says that I may know him, that's what he's talking about. Seeking his face, that he may know God and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. You know, you, I, I don't like being the bearer of, of bad news. But part of the good news is that we're to take up our cross and follow him. Hello? He that would lose his life, Jesus said, will find it. He that would save his life will lose it. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. So God, uh, as long as we're in this present lifetime, there will be suffering. You know, if if you're going to walk with Jesus. Last week I was, uh, I think it was last week, maybe the week before last, um, I said, when were the believers first called Christians? And some of you knew that it was in Antioch. Well, and I told you, and it was kind of a trick question, because that's not exactly the case. But if you want to read about it, it's in the 11th chapter of Acts. And it says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The first time the word Christians was used. I was 
I was glad to see we had a Christian up here leading worship for a change. Some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. One of the leaders up here, one of them, his name is Christian. So see. But it says in Antioch, the disciples. Now, whether or not it was intended in the scriptures themselves as referring to all believers, all believers in Jesus Christ as being Christians, that may be. But it deliberately said disciples. Now, that's that's if you want to get technical, that separates Believers from believers. In other words, there are believers. But then there are believers that are disciples. A disciple is someone that is learned in the word. A disciple is one that is a follower of God. Ephesians 4, 5, excuse me. Be ye therefore followers of of God as dear children and walk in love even as God for uh, even as Christ uh, as a sacrifice to God walked in love okay a discipler is a follower is a follower of Jesus Christ uh, I make reference to the first time that Jesus sits down and talks with his disciples is in before he goes to the cross is uh, in Jerusalem is when he's got them all alone the disciples is starts in first John I mean in cha- excuse me John chapter 14 and the first thing he says to his disciples he says I'm going to go away but if I go I go the way I will go and prepare a place for you, a mansion for you in heaven. And where I go, you know the way. And Thomas says, how can we know the way? And he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There are two ways that Jesus is the way. First way is, in, and I, uh, I, I say this, I, I, I love, I totally love Franklin Graham. Because I've seen him on television, I would say around 10 times. And I, but I've never seen him on television where he didn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care what the subject matter is or whatever, he will always bring it away. Uh, the Bible says, speak the truth in love. He always speaks the truth. I am the way, the truth. He always speaks it in love. And he always speaks the truth. And the truth starts off with the gospel is that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to die for us. He came that through him we might live. That's where it says the inward man perishes. <clears throat> Last Sunday night, uh, Chris Cleveland 
Pastor Chris Cleveland was preaching at Anchor. And he made reference to a verse of scripture that says, uh, in, and I think I have this right, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, I believe it is. is and this is a the whole book of Galatians. Paul is dealing with this same subject, law versus grace. And so he says, in 1 Corinthians, I mean in um, uh, Galatians 6.15, it says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. All right? Now, here's the interesting thing about that verse of Scripture. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. That is referring to the first act of man to enter into the covenant of God. It's talking about Abraham. The first act of God was to put Abraham asleep. And then in his sleep, he takes him out in a trance or a dream, and he divides, kills these animals and divides them in two, and the Spirit of God, the smoke, Holy Spirit, passes between the two pieces. And it says God makes a covenant. And this, is the, this part of the covenant is referred to in Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And it says God couldn't swear by a greater, so he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so he passes between the two animals, which is figuratively or a metaphor of if I don't keep my word to you, Abraham, may it be unto me as it is to these two animals, which is ironic because it actually happens anyways. I mean, God did it anyways with Jesus Christ being the God, the Son being divided from God the Father and the Holy Spirit passing between the two pieces of sacrifice. God making the sacrifice, sending His Son and the Son sacrificing for us. And so anyway, that's the first, but the first act, God God did it. So He initiates the covenant. The second act, though, is the second uh, say celebration of of the covenant is where he tells Abraham and all males to be circumcised and all babies on the eighth day, which is interesting because if you know medicine, you know that the eighth day after birth is the maximum uh, uh, day for a child for a baby's blood to coagulate to, uh, you know, uh, to heal. And uh, man didn't know that, but God did. So when he says this act of circumcision, so the fir- for our first man's first act of entering or celebrating uh, the, uh, uh, the covenant is man being circumcised. So this is the beginning of the law. All right, the law of the covenant. Abraham's covenant beginning, even though it wasn't explained until uh, Moses, this is the beginning. And so man took the next step. God took the first step. Man's the next step. 
And man was circumcised. And Paul says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But what does he say? The new creation. It's the new creation. Say new creation. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. This is what getting saved means. It means being born again. Except a man be born again. He cannot enter into... So the first, uh, first thing, it's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It's the new creation. Now he says something very similar in uh, Galatians 5, 6. The chapter before. And what does he say? It's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Starts the verse the same way. But what does he say? But it's faith that works by love. So you see kind of an explanation between the two. But the first one is faith works by love. If any man be in Christ, he's the new creation. Our old man is crucified with him, Galatians 6.6. Our old man is crucified with with Christ. Uh, Galatians 2.20. Uh, if we be in Christ, we are crucified with him. That the, and uh, the not life that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. By faith of the Son of God. You know, I had a discussion with somebody, and if you don't agree with me on this, that's okay. Uh, that's one thing about God. He, he loves us even if we're wrong. And I might be the party that's wrong, okay? <laughs> but I had a faith. I said that God operates in the spiritual dimension by faith. He operates by faith. Uh, it's a spiritual force. It's above what we see. You know, I always like to say, especially if I prophesy over somebody or say or say or say something, I believe. I believe that this is true. I'd rather say I believe that this is true than I know that this is true. Because faith is greater than knowing. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Yeah. That's what he said to Thomas when Thomas believed after he put his hand. Well, actually, he didn't do it, but he says, "Put put your hand in this hole in my side. Put your fingers in my hands. He says, and, and then Thomas believes. He says, oh, Lord, my God, you know. And he says, blessed are you, Thomas, because you believe, because you see. But even more blessed are those that do not see and yet believe. See, faith is, we walk by faith and not by sight. Last week I was talking about, and I don't want to forget to finish up on this particularly, the only book Watchman Nee really wrote was Spiritual Man, The Spiritual Man. And it's all about, it starts off all about Adam and Eve and how Adam's sin, that God breathed in him when he breathed into him the breath of life and Adam became a living spirit, a living soul, that the indication in Watchman Nee's teaching 
is there is a distinction between the spirit and the soul. The spirit is, was, or referred to as the heart, as you know, if it's referred to as the heart, it frequently uses, uses the word cardia, you know, like cardiac in the Greek. And if it's referring to the spirit, it says pneuma, which we, you know, understand means air. All right. You, this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. Amen. This is the air I breathe. Breathe into us the breath. You know, so when God, God, here is man. He is without a soul. What is the soul? The soul is his mind, his will, his intellect, and his emotions. He is without these things. Then God breathes into him the breath of life. And then he becomes a living soul. So what does that mean? When God breathed into the body his breath... Then man had a mind, a will, emotions, an intellect. You see, all these things. So the spirit created by coming into man these qualities. And so what what do we see in that? God's original purpose, which we understand all of this that happens to us is the purpose of God. Everything. Everything. God's original purpose was to have a people, a man, a woman, that uh, are spiritual, that are led by the Spirit. And they are led by the Spirit through our soul. Our soul is what the Spirit uses to contact this world. You see? So through our, the, the soul is fed by our senses, the five physical senses. Our eyes, what we see, what we taste, what we feel, uh, what we hear. Uh, that's what feeds the soul. So God wanted to contact the world through the soul and through our senses, the world. But what did man do? Man sold out. Man committed high treason when he ate the forbidden fruit. And at that point, man became a soulish. Man starts becoming, through the fall, a soulish or sensual being, which meant all that we know and all that we are as man are what is fed by those five senses. And we became, and what happened to the spirit? It became detached. When God said, in the day that you eat that fruit, you will die. Well, we know that it took about 900, 800 years for him, 700 years for him to die physically. But when Adam ate the fruit, he died instantly. 
How do we know that? Because they all of a sudden they realized they were naked. See, it's all true that it happened. It's all metaphors as well. So man became a sensual being. The soul was deta- the spirit was detached. He was no longer led by the spirit. So Jesus saves us by in him our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin is destroyed. And in him the new man. And then he tells us to put on the new man which is created in life. And so we are become new creations and we become now spiritual people again. But there's a problem here. The spirit is born again. The spirit is brand new. The spirit is renewed day by day. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man. What's the inner man? The man of the spirit. The spirit is born, is born again. You're born again every, well, if you go by that National Geographic, every 17 seconds. You see, you're a, you're a new man. You're a spiritual man. And God wants us to be led by the Spirit. But there's still a problem. You see, this old man, our mind, our will, our emotions, are old. They're, they, they're put to death. But what's death? Remember, how did Adam die? He didn't die physically, instantly. But he died spiritually. How is that? His spirit was no longer in charge. Now he's a soulish, sensual man. So we get born again. Our spirits become new. Our old man is crucified. But there's still a problem. And it's this thing up here. It's this thing up here. You see, that's why he says, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? Well, see, now the Spirit begins to speak to us. But you see, we don't speak Spirit. You understand? The Spirit is operating and starts speaking to us in a language we don't understand. Because we don't speak spirit. We speak soul. So what do we do? We have to be, we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. That's what it says in Romans 12. And then it says, be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How do we speak? learn how to speak spirit. Well, this is my Bible. <laughs> now, I, this is, uh, I have Bible apps in here, so I'm referring to this as my Bible. But it, if I wish I should have brought my Bible hold up. That's our communicator. That's our translator. That's our interpreter. When we begin, we learn how to speak God. We, how do we get to know Him? And how do we get to know him? Through the word of God. See. And so God wants us, a man, what he intended from the very beginning, to be spiritual beings led by the spirit of of his spirit. And in order to do that, we have to learn to speak God. 
And we have to get to know him. And the way we get to know him is through his word. And the word was made flesh. Now at the beginning, faith that works by love. God loved us. For God so loved the world, he gave his son to die for us. So when we receive Christ, we become a new creation, a new spirit, which is renewed minute by minute by minute by minute by minute. But we still... Are being not, we still have a problem. We're not being led by the Spirit because we don't speak Spirit. So we have to learn how to speak Spirit and we learn that by studying the Word of God. But you see, we need to know something about studying the Word of God. And this is what we were talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, and it's referring to the law of and he's talking about how Moses went up into the mountain to talk to God and he couldn't look at his face, face to face. Because if he did, the glory of God would consume him. Would, he, he couldn't live it, couldn't live through such an experience. So God said, I will let you see my backside. So he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and then he passes by so he can see his backside. Now that's literally happened but it's all metaphorical because the cleft of the rock is Jesus Christ but he says when Moses sees his backside he shines now what is it that is going to kill Moses the glory of God the glory of God he is so beautiful that you can't look at God's face you can't look at it and live you can't do it New birth. And you, you, see, you hear that new spirit coming in? And so that's, that's, that's all right. Don't worry about kids crying. This is one of those things I just, you know, they're children. They're babies. Babies cry. Yeah. Kids do, do, do things that can annoy you. Or you can turn, like Dr. B used to say, if somebody annoys you, turn your cat around. You know what that means? I love figures of speech. If you, if you study the Bible, you'll begin to learn how God speaks through this natural dimension. You know, if you have a cat in your lap and you, you rub it towards its head instead of its tail, a cat don't like it. You're, you're roughing its hair. You've got to rub it the smooth way down towards his tail, you know. So if somebody's ruffling your hair, turn your cat around. You see, then that's exactly the way children are to me. What used to annoy me, I love it. Uh, it's like that, oh, I can't even think of that country singer's name. He had a really good song called You're Gonna Miss This Someday. And it's when you have a bunch of kids running around being kids and annoying you says you're going to miss this someday all right so Moses comes down out of the mountain he's glowing with the beauty of God the glory of God is the beauty of his holiness see what if you took anything in this room 
And you completely took all sin out of it. You know, this world is still under a curse, you know. Right? If you took it all out, it would it'd be shining. I told somebody of, uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, that when I was in the seventh grade, my father went in the hospital with paralyzed kidneys from carbon tetrachloride cleaner he worked with as an electrician. And he paralyzed his kidneys. This is a 260 pound, six foot, two, six foot, one man uh, goes in the hospital. Sickest patient that ever, that ever stayed in Northwest Texas Hospital and lived to walk out. Sickest patient. Over a period of time, he went from 260, 255, 260 to 75 pounds. Just, I say skin and bone, but there wasn't much skin, just bone. First miracle. They had these things called kidney machines. Three of them in the United States. Now you can go down here and get dialysis from kidney machines. It just comes to sits beside you. And you can do it all day long. And there's got 40, 30 of them or some. They can take 30 at a time. There was only three, and they were bigger than washing machines. There was, I, I, I don't remember where two of them were, Los Angeles, Chicago, big, big cities, two of them. One was on tour. It was in Amarillo, Texas. The guy that was doing the lecture on the tour was our family physician. So he put it on my dad. Dr. Olson says, Dr. Olson told my mother, he won't live for three days. He won't be alive. Get your affairs in order. Puts him on this machine. Had to use it for several days. Um, after three days, he's still alive. I uh, told my mother he won't live for a week or two at the most. Then when he lived that length of time, said it won't be a month, two months, three months. Just kept adding, adding, and of course after it was all over, he lived for like years and years, you know. But somewhere in that time period, I used to go and rub my dad's legs and uh, it, was, it was kind of repulsive for a 7th grader to rub these sagging skin and legs. I have to admit, I, it wasn't one of my funniest things to do. My dad was never one to show emotion. Men didn't do that in those days. Didn't say they loved you, didn't show affection. So I never saw any affection from my father. But I come in one day from school and my mother says, get ready, we're going to go to the hospital. I, I'd never done, they'd never done that so quickly. I, I, I don't know if I thought, but I think I might have thought he, must be, he might be dead, you know, or on the brink. She said, we're going to the hospital. At one point I said, well, what for? Says there's been some Baptist pastors that have visited the, your dad. And they prayed for him. And it's my understanding they prayed for him 
to be born again. To receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I believe the proper way to do it is in Romans 10. It says, if we believe that Jesus is the Lord, if we believe that he was the Christ, if he was believed that he is the Son of God, and confess him to be our Lord, that word Lord is uh, the Greek word curious, which means, uh, it's in the Hebrew, it's Adonai. Adonai means sovereign God. You know, sometimes when the word Lord is used, it's, it's translated, it should be translated master like Rabboni. But this is a Rabboni. If you confess him to be your sovereign God, that's Jesus Christ. And you believe that God has raised him from the dead. Another place is second, 1 Corinthians 15, which says, This is the gospel, that Jesus came and bore our sins on the cross. And that on the third day he was raised from the dead. So if you confess him to be your Lord, you shall be saved. So this is how you get born again. This is how you get saved. You believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He's the son of God. He bore your sins on the cross. And you confess him. That word confess that means not only to say it, but it's homologia, which means to say homo means same. You know, homo sapien? Homo means same. Homo uh, logio. Logio comes from the word logos. Word. If you say, if you look in your concordance, in your strongest concordance, and go back to the the, the Greek, homologio, which means, it's the word confess, means to say the same thing. Say the same thing as what? Say the same thing that God says. And what does God say? He, Jesus is Lord. And if you confess him and you say the same thing, in other words, you agree. The Bible says in Amos 3, 3 can, two, can two walk together except they be agreed? Can you walk with God? You cannot walk with God unless you agree with him. So it says to walk together except they be agreed. You agree with God. Jesus is Lord. I confess you. I say the same thing. I believe and I believe. Faith is stronger than knowing. If you see, if God, if you long to see God, that's okay. If you long to see God because you want to commune with Him and be in His presence, that's okay. But if you want to see God so you'll believe, then you're like Thomas. And He shows you, God shows you, you're blessed. Not near as blessed if you believe without having seen. We walk by faith and not by sight. Did you know there's five spiritual senses? There's five senses that through the Spirit of God, through man, through man's soul, he communes, he, you, commutes, communes with you. Taste and see the Lord is good. We have known and tasted that God is gracious. Second, uh, uh, second, 1 Timothy 2, 5. 
We have known that God is gracious. Taste it and see. Taste and see. The woman, he's being touched by hundreds of people. The woman says, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed with the issue of blood. And what does God say? Jesus say when she touches him? Somebody touched me. Hundreds of people are touching him. Somebody touched me. So, what do you mean somebody touched you? I felt virtue go out of me. The woman touched him. Not only touched him physically, touched him spiritually. I opened my eyes and I may behold wondrous things out of your word. See? Spiritual eyes. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. See, there's spiritual hearing. There's, phys- there's spiritual seeing. There's spiritual tasting. There's spiritual touching. So there's, there's the, the five senses. There's five spiritual senses that God through the physical senses can touch So if you want to see God because you're hungry for God, that's one thing. If you want to see him because in seeing you believe, then you're being that soulish person. God wants a spiritual man, and he does it, and he wants us to operate in a spiritual way. He wants to know, God wants to be that whenever we touch somebody, it's spiritually as well as physically. Whenever we you know, that's when he says, if your right eye offend thee, cut it, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Metaphorically. I hope he's mean metaphor there, metaphorically. I have known people that have actually tried to put out their eye. I don't think that's actually what he means. He's talking about your physical eye and become spiritual eyes. That's what he's talking about, plucking out. Hello? Okay, so Moses, it says, uh, 5.16, uh, it's neither circumcision nor it's uncircumcision. It's not the law, but it's uh, a new creation in Christ. A new creation. You know, in 1 first, uh, uh, first Corinthians, 1 uh, Peter 2, 1.23, which says, uh, love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being, being, you know what being is? That's what God is when he is I am. He is being. Being means present tense. Being means now. Now is the faith of evidence things not seen. See? Now faith is. Being, walking by faith now. It says, love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again. It's not uncircumcision. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's neither one. But it's being a new creation. Living as a born again. Born again every, every 17 seconds. If you want to look at it that way. You know, you know you, all you have to do is, is meditate and believe in God for 17 seconds. Presence. Presence. Remember those 17 seconds are up and the new 17 seconds begin. If, if you can think that long on one, focus that long, think of that long. Anyway, God is a being. 
And then it says in 5, 6, Galatians. And remember, Galatians is all about law versus grace. And it says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but faith that works by love. Listen, I, I want to say, say if you're going to err in, this, in the Spirit of God, err on the side of love. If you want to make a mistake, Neil Moody once said, you know, I, one of the doctrines I, I do not care for as far as the present uh, believing of Calvinism. And when I say present, I've heard by some people that say if Calvin, if Calvin was alive today, he wouldn't be a Calvinist. Okay, I've heard that but several times, as a matter of fact. But D.L. Moody, one of the belie- believings is that Jesus didn't die for everybody. I, I disagree with that, all right? But D.L. Moody, he died for only the elect. So if you're, if you're here and you're not one of God's elect, you're going to hell. Sorry. If you're a Calvinist, you believe that. They don't, I, can't de- they, I can't say who is and who isn't. But I can tell you this much. That's what they believe. That uh, you're going to hell. Right? It's called limited atonement. Or unconditional grace. You know. Unconditional election. It's a tulip doctrine. I don't, I don't agree with it. All right? I agree. Jesus died for everybody. God loves everybody. For God's love the world. Okay. And so anyway. It's faith that works by love. If you're going to hear, Dale Moody once said, if I happen to lead someone to the throne room of grace who is not one of God's elect, you understand? If I ha- it, it, this is a, put, uh, a, a gentle put down on Calvinism. Right? It's a gentle put down. Dale Moody, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. If I happen to lead a person to the Lord who is not one of God's elect, I'm sure God will forgive me. You know, you know a lot of people will, will uh, you know, say, I don't believe that person's a Christian. Well, why do you say that? Well, because of the way they behave. Okay. Well, I, I, I hope that person doesn't come around me very often. Because they won't think I am either. <laughs> and I'm bragging, but I do some things that are, I'm ashamed of sometimes. Yeah, we all do. But you know what God said? God said, Jesus says, you guys out there, me included, we're wheat and some are chaff. All right? And do you know those? We don't know. God says we don't know. I don't know if you're saved, born again, going to heaven or not. What I just believe is that you are. In other words, if you say you are, if you say you can believe in Jesus, confess him. I, I will believe you. I believe. I'd rather err on that side. Jesus said this, whosoever refers to, this in the Sermon on the Mountain, whosoever refers to his brother as a fool 
What's a fool? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Whoever calls his brother as a, says he's a fool, a brother, you're in danger. You're in danger. I'd rather believe somebody's saved and them not be saved than to believe somebody's not saved than they are. I want to err on the side of love. Nowhere in the Bible does it says if you refer to somebody as lost as being saved, you're in danger of anything. And yet more Christians are like the wheat and the chaff grow up together. Only the in the last days will they be separated. Hello? So anyway, faith that works by love. Jesus is the way. He is the way. Believing in him is the way to the Father. But we still have a problem after we get born again. Our soul. So, see, Jesus says, God says, the word. This is what God, God says have, has a problem. I have a problem with mankind. You can't see me because if you do, you're going to die. You can't see how beautiful I really am. The glory of God is the beauty of his holiness. You can't see me. Because if you did, you would die. So I got to come up with a way that you can see how beautiful I really am. And I'm going to convert this beautiful glory that I am in heaven into flesh. So God becomes a man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light, the glory of God, shines in darkness. And someone, it says the darkness in King James comprehended it not. It says actually, literal translation, and the darkness could not extinguish it. That's John 1, 1, 2, 3. And then it goes on and says, And this word became flesh. That's how Jesus was born. Became flesh and dwelt among us. I got in real trouble with somebody one time. And maybe I should, I don't know. But I wasn't trying to be uh, sacrilegious or profane or anything. Uh, I, I was trying to drive home a point. There's a song that came out. I think it is about 30 years ago. I'm not sure. But it was, it was kind of a pretty song. But it was like, what if God was one of us? Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. And my point, I, was, I brought up that song. Remember that song? What if God was one of us, you know? And so it was a big, huge hit. Yeah. You know the song? And all I said is, God was one of us. And dwelt among us. And it says, and we beheld his glory. 
Well, I wasn't there. Well, better thank God that you weren't. You know, when Jesus was with the disciples, he told them one time, he said, all those people back in the past that you admire, look up to Isaiah, Daniel, David, you know, all of those that you admire. He says, they, they would have given anything to be in your shoes, to be with me. And at the time when I read that, I thought, me too. I would have given anything to have been in their shoes. And you know, now what I believe is they, the disciples, would give anything to be in our shoes today. Because we have an opportunity that they did not have. It's like Peter and John. That which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands, which we have handled, washed our feet, broke bread with him. He says, we're blessed. But more blessed are you to believe. So we have an opportunity, see, that they did not have. We live in a time period where we can change the world with our love. By loving God. Now, we beheld His glory. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is there also dealing with law versus grace. And he says, if the law, being in the law, Moses, was glorious. How glorious was it? You saw his backside. Moses glowed so much, shined so much, the people couldn't stand to look at him. They put a bag over his face, or a veil over his face, so that they couldn't look at his face. And he only saw the backside. But the glory of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. All right, now... The God converted his glory, his beauty into flesh so that we could see him. And today we can see him through the word of God. But there's something we need to do. There's two things we need to do. First thing is we need to be born again. You accept a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Why? Through being born again, the veil is torn away. There was a veil between man and the Ark of the Covenant. Very thick veil. It was like 18 inches thick. Dick Rubin, who is one of the primo teachers of law versus grace, is a Messianic Jew. And he said that veil was like 18 inches thick. You know, like wavy veils that you see. Hundreds of pounds. He says you, there, was, there was no slots on the side. There was certainly no way to go underneath it. There used to be a teaching, and I've heard it so many times, I've taught it myself, that when the priest was going to go back there, he would, uh, uh, they were, while he was making the preparation, the other assistant priests, the other, you know, Levites, 
they would go and they would tie a rope around his ankle. And so the idea was, is when he would walk, there would be around him, he'd wear this tunic, which in some places they call a robe, but it was actually a tunic. And it had on, around the tunic, a pomegranate hanging on a little thread and a, a bell on the, uh, it was a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate. Perfect example of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit. 13 is about love. 14 is about the gifts of the Spirit. You have the gifts of the Spirit, a bell, the love, the pomegranate, the fruit of the Spirit, and the bell, the gifts of the Spirit. Second, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You see, faith working by love. The gifts of the Spirit without love, it says, if I sound like a clanging cymbal and have not love, I become a sounding brass or ting. If I have a clanging bell. So the purpose of the bell and the, the pomegranates was when they would hit together, it would be a soft soft ring. It wasn't be dang, bang, 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 bang. It was soft. And so that, that was also a metaphor of the gifts, 12, the fruit, love, 13. And said they would tie a rope around his thing so that when he went in there, if he did something wrong and he was struck dead by God, the bells would stop ringing and they could pull his body out. As, that is totally man-made, totally man-made up. No place in the Bible, right? It sounds good, except for one thing. They took the tunic off when they would go in there. So they didn't even have that tunic on, for starters. And, it, he, you know, Dick Rubin proved it through the Old Testament. But you see, there was no way to get... You couldn't have dragged it, drug that body out from underneath there if you had a hundred men pulling it. It wouldn't come out. Because there's a solid curtain and it was 18 inches thick and there's just no way you could drag a body out anyways. So how could he get in there? Since there's only one way that he would be lifting up the censer which would have the hot coals of incense on it burning and he would pass through supernaturally. You see, we have passed through that veil supernaturally because Jesus... When he was crucified, that veil was struck by lightning and split down the middle. Through Christ, that veil is done away so that we now can go into the presence of God. So when you get born again, you pass through the veil, through Christ. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, that veil is done away in Christ. For through that veil we have liberty. And it says also by the veil being done away in Christ. We can be conformed to the same image as Jesus Christ. So what happens is you get born again. Your spirit be automatically conformed. To Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live. In the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. 
long ago I said, I believe God operates by faith. He says, by the faith of the Son of God. When it says, by faith we know that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. I think that's two things, two meanings. By faith we know, and by faith the worlds were framed by the Word of God. By his word. He operates in the faith dimension. We can also operate in the faith dimension. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but faith that works by love. And so that veil is done away in Christ. But is that the end of it? No. You see, Christ came to the earth. Why did he spend three and a half years preaching and teaching the kingdom of God? So that we could see the glory of God. Before Christ came to the earth, man was incapable of fully seeing and understanding the glory of God. It's in the Word, and there's glimpses of it, but he couldn't see it. That through Christ, though, his life, we could see the glory of God. God, they missed it. Because they were under this law and they were under a judgmental, critical nature. We're going to look at some, one scripture. Be ready to put up Proverbs 24. And I'm going to start at verse 16. And I'm going to go for a couple of verses, a few verses. Proverbs, excuse me, 24. Did I say 16? Proverbs 24, verse 16. We're going to start there when I tell you. You see, not only do we have to be born again to see the kingdom of God, we have to see the kingdom of God with open eyes, which veil is done away. He says, even today, when people read the Old Testament, they can't see the beauty of God. They can't see that God is love. They fail to see that. Jesus came to reveal to the world that's why he says to, to uh, the first teaching, the first teaching that he teaches the disciples of the last teaching. This is the, like a day before he goes and is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. You follow this? The first thing he says, I, I go, where I go, I go to prepare. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, then you know the way. And Thomas says, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And he keeps in. Philip says, show us the Father then. Have I been with you so long, Philip, that you haven't seen the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am in the Father. We are one in the Father. And I want you to be one in the Father. I want you to be one in me as we, as I am one in the Father. I have come, and I, I told you to, to this one of my favorite scenes. I watch it over and over and over again in the greatest story ever told. It's about the life of Jesus Christ. Hollywood got a lot of things right in this thing. And I'm not sure this is the encounter with Matthew. But he's going in to, 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 uh, to uh, you know, Nazareth, wherever he's headed. 
uh, Capernaum, wherever, I, and uh, the one of the, the new one of his newest disciples, James, not the brother of John, he says to him, "Oh, let's go into a different, let's go into a different gate, or a different uh, entry." He says, "Aren't they all alike?" He says, "No, well, not everyone has my brother working. At, my brother's working at this one." And he says, "He says, well, he's a tax collector. He's hated. My whole family hates him. Nobody." He says, "Well, do you love him?" He says, "Well, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I love him." He says, and "He says, well, let's go." And he goes in, and he goes in. There's Matthew, you know, wrote the book of Matthew, uh, and so he says. Matthew looks at him and says, "You have anything to declare?" He says, "Only my father." And Matthew looks around and says, well, where is he? Does he have anything to, to declare? He says, only his love for you. Well, where is he? He says, he's in my heart. And Matthew says, well, I guess I can't very well tax that, can I? And then he says, follow me, Matthew. And hey, he follows him. Only his love for you. This is what Jesus came to say. You know, Nate and I was talking one time about, I was telling him about Gandhi. India, India, you know, uh, Hindu. Basically liberated India from the colonial hold that Great Britain had on them. Helped also a great deal with South Africa. And you know where he got his whole procedure, his whole planning, his whole mission, his whole plan? He's reading the Bible. And he says, Boy, this Jesus. He 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 knew something. What was he reading? I was going to read it to you. It's in, in Matthew 5. You can look at it. It starts with about verse 39. If somebody strikes you on the right, you turn to him the other also. Later on in, in, in chapter 7, he says, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do that? The sinners do that? Love. Love. You know, he says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. The few there be that find it. Broad is the way, broad is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in there out. You know, I'm talking about two different ways here. One is way to the new birth, and one is way to walking out the new birth. To walk it out, we have to look at, first of all, we have to look that we have an open veil and we can see the glory of God. And we're born again. But now when we walk it out, this mind needs to be renewed. Your stinking thinking needs to change. That's what it means to be changed from 
glory to glory. And so we walk it out. And to walk it out, we need to see God face to face in His Word. And the only way we can see that is with an open veil, an unveiled face. And the only way we can see it is God is only revealed in the life of Jesus Christ. Give you an example. One time, he was going, when he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to go through uh, uh, Samaria. And he was going to go through this town in Samaria. They wanted him to come. But when they found out his face was set towards Jerusalem and he wasn't going to stay very long, they said, we don't want you. If you're not going to stay here with us, we don't want you. And so they said, well, we'll go a different way. So they went a different way. Meanwhile, the disciples said, should we call fire down from heaven on them? Should we call fire down from heaven on them? Like Elijah did? You can read about it in Second Kings, the first chapter. Jesus looked at him and says, you don't know what spirit you are of. I come to save lives, not destroy them. This is that revelation, that's that unveiled face. I'm going to share something with you in a minute that's not going to be very popular to some, I think. But if you're going to err, err on the side of love. Yes, Jesus beat the money changers out of the temple with the whip. It's called righteous indignation. I have not yet met the man that is spiritually, spiritually enough that walks out the word of God enough to even have the right to be righteously indignant. There may be the man that is so walking in the spirit that he could actually be like Jesus was then. But you see, before we can be the lion, we have to be the lamb. Hello? So, love your enemies. Bless them. And, you know, let, let, me get, let me get this straight. Let me get something straight. Romans 13 says the laws, the government, you know, our government, we have government. They have, they're, they're, they're servants of God. It says ministers of God. Police, they're ministers of God. Our government is ministers of God. Now, he was talking about the Romans then. So, you know, it, it's not talking about if you have good government. It says they're ministers of God. And their function has civil function is to punish evildoers and to reward righteousness. Their function is to execute the laws of the land. And he goes on to say, if you keep the laws, you don't have anything to worry about. So their job is different than our job. Hello? They have a job to shoot people. They don't have to love their enemies. Okay? But we do. 
We have to love our enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your father. You know when he started that whole thing. He says be, be unto. Do unto others as they would. As you would have them do unto you. So we are to love our enemies. Our government. That they have a different mandate from God. All right? But we are to love our enemies. Now, I want to show you something here. And this is something where I believe we Christians fall short of. Uh, we, if you're going to err, err on the side of love. Love one another. Turn the other cheek. Let's put up, I'll give you an example here. You know where it says... Render not evil for evil, but contrary wise blessing. You know where it says that in Romans, the 12th chapter? For vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I was going to read that too, but I'm skipping that for it right now. Read it, Romans 12. Then it goes into Romans 13, where it talks about how there's magistrates and laws that protect, you know, to protect us. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And then he says, if thy enemy be hungry, give him food. If he be thirsty, give him drink. For in doing it, you will have coals of fire upon his head. And that's taken from the Old Testament. Okay, so this is a glimpse in the Old Testament. For a just man falls seven times. That's how I know that I'm a just man. I actually think this might be in a day. And I've tried to live up to this promise. (laughs) Unto it pretty good. But he rises up again. He he riseth up again. But a wicked shall fall into mischief. Rejoice not when your enemy falls. You know, this last week, Sometime there was this, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but a guy that was executed, wicked general from Iran. You know, I, I didn't see literally, but I saw people dancing in the street in this country. In the other country, they're protesting how, what wicked Satan we are. Rejoice not when your enemy falls. You know, we're supposed to love everybody. I mean, if it's love, love one another, that's that, that Greek word talking about each other in the, in the church. One another. But it also says, love our enemies. How do you love somebody that is from what we know was so, so, such a wicked person, so responsible for so many deaths, Christians and Jews, and anybody that didn't agree with them? How can you love them? Because God loves them. How do you love them? You want them to come to know Jesus. 
You know, the Marines have a saying, kill them all and let God sort them out. And that's what it is. Let God sort them out. That's God's business. Vengeance is his, not ours. You know what's... There's there's an irony about mankind. All the ways that God says that I'm God, you're not. All the ways that he says that. That's what that perfect example is Adam and Eve. Don't eat that fruit. See, he says, don't eat that fruit. All the ways that God says, I am God, you are not. Vengeance, jealousy. It's all right to be jealous for him, but you want people to be saved. Pray for the lost. Don't rejoice when they fall. Let your heart be glad. Or let your heart be glad when he stumbleth. Why do you want to rejoice that this wicked man, and I don't know who is going to heaven, who's going to hell, I can't be the judge. God is the judge. When this wicked man is very likely going to eternal hell. Or anybody. Why would you be happy about that? We're supposed to love our enemies. That's how that veil is done away, see? Christ revealed the true love of God. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Sends his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. That ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. Be ye therefore perfect. That word perfect is the Greek word teleos, teleos which means complete. Be, be ye therefore completed. Actually, a, a better a translation would be mature. Be ye therefore mature, even as your Father which is in heaven is mature, is complete. Be ye therefore perfect. God wants us to love our enemy. He wants to love everybody. <clears throat> I heard a new saying from my friend. Uh, he actually quotes Bob Mumford, and I'll end with this one. God will extract from you in times of peace what you promised him in times of turmoil. Did you hear that? God will extract from you, demand of you, come to collect from you in times of peace. You understand? You know, why do I say that? In, in, even in the, the law, it says, um, uh, I will bless you. You read Deuteronomy 6, you say, I will bless you. I will bless you as you lie down, as you get up, as you walk by the way, as you sit by your... I will bless you, your comings and goings. And he says, and when I do, don't forget me. See, it's when times are really going well that we... 
you know, it reminds me of the story of this guy. He's on a plane, and all the engines begin to go one by one. And the last one is starting to, jet engine is starting to flutter. And this guy starts to pray. He's a very, very wealthy man. God, if you get me out of this, I will give half of everything I own to the, to the church. Boom! All the engines instantly came back on. So he lands the plane, and he starts to get down off the plane. And a guy walks up to him and says, you know, I have a, a church, and we have a lot of things that we're doing, wonderful things for the Lord. And I heard what you promised him. And I was wondering if you would just consider our church. And he said, well, apparently you didn't hear what I promised him afterwards. He says, what was that? He says, I promised God that if he ever got me back on one of those things, I'd give him everything. In other words, he switched his promise. I was out of trouble in times of peace. God will extract from you. He'll say, hey, I come for your commitment. In times of flourishing, times of flourishing, what you promised him in times of turmoil. Wow. Judge no man. Why can we? Paul says, I don't even judge myself, he said. Don't even judge yourself. Hello? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself an offering and a sacrifice for us to God. How do we walk in love? We, we can do it for others, but it's a sacrifice to God. See? Now, once you ever learn how to be the Lamb of God, we can we have the music come up, please? Be the Lamb of God. Then you can, uh, you know, I found something out. The closer I get to being the Lamb of God, the less I care about being the Lion. You know, I'm not in a spiritual place where I could beat anybody out of the temple. Forgiveness. We forgive everybody that sins against us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And thank you that that veil is done away in Christ. And that we can love one another. We, We can also love an evil world out there but we can love them no matter what even our enemies especially our enemies love your enemies bless them because we we pray for those that maybe their extreme religion hates us wants to destroy us wants to kill us. We pray for them, Lord, that they could have their eyes open up to see the glory that has been made flesh and dwelt among us. The glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of His love. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.